You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. So, it's Christmas Eve. Today, I wanted to talk about how Christmas was celebrated by history's most notorious villains. This turned out to be a little bit harder than anticipated. The first real question I ran into was, did pirates even actually celebrate Christmas? Now, that has a complicated answer, but not terribly. First of all, though, obviously not all pirates were Christian and wouldn't have celebrated the birth of Christ. We can fairly safely assume that Madame Ching Shi didn't have a Christmas tree on board her ship in the South China Sea. The Muslim Barbary pirates in the Mediterranean probably weren't celebrating either. Even in the Caribbean, not all of the pirates would have been Christian. The Jewish Jamaicans were celebrating Hanukkah, which we know due to a menorah found in the ruins of Port Royal, and we can probably assume that the pirates among them were celebrating as well. But what of the English, Irish, French, and Dutch sailors on the account? They came from Christian families, usually, but they were vilified as enemies of the whole human race. It's hard to picture these violent scallywags praying, singing hymns, and opening presents. To get to the answer, we need to look at two basic things. First, there are a few first-hand accounts of pirate Christmases we can look at, but perhaps equally as important is the religious environment of the pirate's world. Nowadays, at least in the U.S. and most of the West, Christmas is the holiday. You can hardly leave your house without hearing Jingle Bell Rock and seeing Santa Claus and Christmas trees everywhere. But it wasn't always that way. To the very early Christians, and honestly, to a lot of Christians today, Christmas wasn't the most important religious holiday. Of course, the nativity, the birth of Christ, is sacred, but the death and resurrection of Christ was kind of a bigger deal. It was really the early Germanic and Celtic Christians that mingled the celebration of the nativity with their own traditional pagan winter solstice feast. This gave us our modern Christian traditions like Santa Claus, or you might call him Santa Claus, like the gift-giving, like mistletoe, the yule log, and the Christmas tree. You'll notice that you're not going to find a lot of fir trees in Judea. This wasn't lost on later Christians either, though, especially when radical Protestants were attempting to eradicate any hint of Catholic or pagan tradition from their religion. The Puritans were the most radical of these to gain any real power, and in 1647, Oliver Cromwell and the Puritan Parliament outlawed the celebration of Christmas altogether. 
all of their traditions, from caroling to feasting, were banned, and in their place the people were encouraged to fast and observe the birth of Christ in solemn, quiet prayer. By 1659, the ban had spread to the colonies as well, when the Puritan element in Boston outlawed the holiday as well. It was only a year later, though, that King Charles II was restored to the throne of England and ended the ban on Christmas. There was a popular rhyme from that year that went, Now thanks to God for Charles' return, whose absence made old Christmas mourn. For then we scarcely did it know whether it Christmas were or no. But in Boston, Christmas was still banned. You see, the colonies were a haven for religious refugees. The Puritans, the Scottish Presbyterians, French Huguenots, they all flocked to the New World. Places like Port Royal and Tortuga were filled with men and women that had no interest in papist Christian traditions. The Dutch colonies would have been little better. They had a saying that went, quote, Jesus is great, but gold is greater. For example, there was a Dutch buccaneer named Lorraine de Graaf that spent Christmas 1683 in a very unchristian manner. Henry Morgan would go on to call the man a great and mischievous pirate for very good reason. In the future, we're going to be going into some detail about de Graaf, and I don't want to give too much away too early, but you can assure yourself that he was busy sacking cities, plundering treasure houses, and stealing or sinking as many Spanish ships as he could get his hands on. But by Christmas 1683, all of the New World knew de Graaf's name, and it made the Spanish tremble. On Christmas Eve of that same year, the governor at Cartagena, a man named Juan de Pando Estrada, sent three commandeered ships against him. They were all well-armed and very well-provisioned. The buccaneer crew, though, took those ships with ease. They killed 90 of the Spaniards and lost only 20 of their own men. The pirates claimed these ships as their own and even made the largest of them, which had 40 guns on board, their flagship. The next day, Christmas Day, de Graaf released most of the prisoners he had taken, and he sent a note with them to the governor. It thanked him for the Christmas presents. So, can we assume that Blackbeard and Ned Lowe and Edward England all refused Christmas on board their vessels? Well, no. While the early English pirates, like the Providence Company, were Puritans that hated the thought of anyone having a good time, the Golden Age pirates were well known for their love of drinking and feasting and carousing. Beyond that, the Puritans were mostly in the North American colonies. The Caribbean, by the time of the Golden Age, was filled with disenchanted privateers and former navy men. We do have more than a few accounts of Christmas on board these royal vessels. Probably the best of these is by a man named Edward Barlow, who was sailing on a king's ship in 1661, when he wrote of their Christmas feast. He said, quote, We had but small Christmas cheer, not having Christmas pie or roast beef or plum pudding and such like, I remembering that the poorest people in all England would have a bit of something that was good on such a day, and that many beggars would fare much better than we did. For all we had, nothing but a little bit of Irish beef for four men, which had lain in pickle for two or three years and was as rusty as the devil, with a little stinking oil or butter, which was all colors of the rainbow, many men in England greasing their cartwheels with better. And also we had not two or three days to play in and go where we would, as the worst of servants had in England, but as soon as we had ate our large dinner, which was done at three or four mouthfuls, we must work all day afterward, and maybe a great part of the night, which made me many times to put in consideration what a hard task I had taken upon me for my lifetime. 
End quote. A full seven years later, his Christmases on deck had not much improved. In 1668, he wrote, We had nothing to our Christmas dinner but a bit of old rusty salt beef, which was lain in pickle eighteen or twenty months, and a piece of it for three men, about three quarters of a pound, which was packed out of all the rest. For the officers having the first choice always, nothing was left for the poor men but the sirloin next to the horns, and they have a Hobson's choice. That or none. However, not all of the accounts of Christmas on board a vessel were as unpleasant. A ship's chaplain, named Henry Tongue, wrote of Christmas on board his ship in 1676, quote, We had much mirth on board, for we had a great cake made, in which was put a bean for the king, a pea for the queen, a clove for the knave, a forked stick for the cuckold, a rag for the slut. The cake was cut into several pieces in the great cabin, and all put into a great napkin, out of which every one took his piece, as out of a lottery, then each piece is broken to see what was in it, which caused much laughter to see our lieutenant prove the cuckold, and more to see us tumble on the other in the cabin, by reason of the rough weather. End quote. It's funny that it was actually a chaplain who wrote this, because the king's cake, as it was called, is reminiscent of a very real pagan tradition. In ancient Rome, they celebrated the feast of the god of Saturn on December 17th. They called the day Saturnalia. It was a day of feasting and gift-giving, and all of the servants and slaves were free from work and even, in the early days, served at table by their masters. In the later days, they were just feasted by the masters and occasionally given a holiday bonus. One of the highlights, though, of Saturnalia was the cake. It was baked with a single bean in the batter. Whoever happened to be served the slice containing the bean was proclaimed king for the day and could command their masters and all of their fellow slaves to do whatever they pleased. Considering that this was a Roman tradition, I can only imagine that many of the commands wouldn't go over at my family's Christmas dinner. So far, though, we haven't given any accounts from any actual pirates. We've given accounts from a couple of naval men, but nothing from a real scallywag. Unfortunately, there isn't a lot to work from on that. We do, however, have an account from a pirate ship that mentions at least two Christmases. The later editions of the Buccaneers of America include an account of the voyages of one Captain Bartholomew Sharp, often erroneously attributed to Exquimelin. Again, we'll be talking about him in future episodes, so I'm going to try to avoid any spoilers, but Christmas does play a fairly major part in his story. His first Christmas as a pirate captain was, well, it was nearly his last. In a journal entry from one of the sailors on board, he writes, Saturday, December 25th, 1680. This day being Christmas Day, we gave in the morning early three volleys of shot for the solemnization of the great festival. I reckoned an east by south way. In the evening of this day, we came to an anchor at the south end of the island, in a stately bay that we found there, but which lies upon open from the south to the southeast. We anchored in eleven fathom water, and, at the distance of only one furlong from the shore, here we saw multitudes of seals covering the bay everywhere, insomuch that we were forced to kill them to set our feet on shore." Now that was contained in the journal, but the author of those later editions of the Buccaneers of America goes on to talk about the events of that Christmas day. Quote, 
A party of the disaffected to Captain Sharp got ashore and subscribed a paper to make John Watling commander, pretending liberty to a free election, as they termed it, and that Watling had it by vote. The reason of this mutiny was that Sharp had got about 3,000 pieces of eight and was willing to come home that year, but two-thirds of the company had none left, having lost it at play. And these would have Captain Sharp turned out because they had no mind as yet to return home. This feud was carried on so fiercely that it was very near coming to a civil war had not some prudent men a little moderated the thing. End quote. Captain Sharp nearly lost his captaincy that year, but avoided it by the skin of his teeth. A year passed. Then, on December 7th of 1681, quote, This day our worthy commander, Captain Sharp, had very certain intelligence given him that on Christmas Day, which was now at hand, the company, or at least a great part thereof, had a design to shoot him he having appointed that day some since time to be merry. Hereupon he made us share the wine amongst us, being persuaded they would scarce attempt any such thing in their sobriety. The wine we shared fell out to three jars to each mess. That night the wine increased. End quote. Seeing another potential Christmas mutiny in his future, Captain Sharp took those measures to avoid it. He wrote in his own journal, quote, when to solemnize that festival as well as we could, we eat the only hog we had left, drank some jars of wine, and made ourselves as merry as we were able, which I did that my men might not mutiny. That same journal of one of his sailors records the meal as well. Quote, this day being Christmas Day, for the celebration of that great festival, we killed yesterday in the evening a sow. This sow we had brought from the Gulf of Nicoya, being then a sucking pig of three weeks old, more or less, but now weighed about fourscore and ten pounds. With this hog's flesh we made our Christmas dinner, being the only flesh we had eaten ever since we turned away our prizes under the equinictical and left the island of Plata. End quote. So Captain Sharp had held on to his command for another Christmas, which, as it turned out, would be his last Christmas as a pirate. But was his story typical of the most famous of pirates? What we have to work with to answer this question is Captain Charles Johnson's A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. So, did pirates actually celebrate Christmas? Well, it depends on the pirate. Captain Johnson wrote of Captain George Lothar, quote, They all got aboard about Christmas, observing neither times nor seasons for perpetrating their villainous actions. End quote. That sounds, to me, like a resounding no. No, the pirates did not celebrate Christmas. But then, in writing about Edward England, Johnson said, quote, this danger escaped, they proposed to spend Christmas, the Christmas of 1720, in carousing and forgetfulness, and kept it for three days in a wanton and riotous way, not only eating, but wasting their fresh provisions in so wretched and inconsiderable a manner that, when they had agreed after this to proceed to Maratius, they were in that passage at an allowance of a bottle of water per diem, and not above two pounds of beef and a small quantity of rice for ten men a day. End quote. Apparently, on England's ship, they celebrated like you might imagine pirates celebrating, drinking and eating and fighting and carousing with women so much that they nearly starved for later lack of food. Or, maybe you picture pirates celebrating how the notorious pirate Ned Lowe marked the holiday. Quote, 
The latter end of July, 1723, Lowe took a large ship, called the Merry Christmas, and fitted her for a pirate, cut several ports in her, and mounted her with 34 guns. Lowe goes aboard his ship, assumes the title of admiral, and hoists a black flag with the figure of death in red at the main topmost head, and takes another voyage to the Western Islands. End quote. That sounds much more like how real pirates, violent men, criminals, robbers, and murderers would treat the nativity. However, that's not my favorite. Were I a pirate, were I on board a pirate vessel for Christmas, I would hope to be aboard the ship of Captain Jack Rackham. Johnson wrote of Calico Jack, quote, After this cruise, they went into a small island and cleaned, and spent their Christmas ashore, drinking and carousing as long as they had any liquor left, and then went to sea again for more, where they succeeded, but too well. So it appears to me that, yes, pirates did celebrate Christmas. However, they didn't celebrate it like their forefathers had. Pirates didn't celebrate Christmas in the traditional fashion, and they didn't avoid Christmas in the Puritan fashion. What real pirates did was celebrate Christmas in a very piratical fashion. These were men and women that lived by their own rules, and these rules weren't always pleasant, but just like the rest of the world, they tried to make their Christmases as pleasant as possible. And I hope that you do the same. However you choose to celebrate, be it Christmas or Hanukkah or Yule or Kwanzaa or the Solstice or Saturnalia or any other celebration, I hope you have a happy holiday. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you enjoy their music, I definitely suggest you go on over and check them out at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G dot com dot A-U. After you're done over there, why not go on over to our website at piratehistorypodcast.com or check us out on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or SoundCloud. I'd like to thank everybody that has signed up to support us on Patreon, donated to the show, shared the show, or given us a review on iTunes. And most of all, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Happy Holidays. Let him live on in legend tonight.